This is hour number two of the John and Leah show. This is the program where we talk about the news of the week, the events of our bizarre lives, and where we provide you with a three-hour oasis of rationality in the desert of insanity, which is the American media and political and cultural landscape. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. She's off this week on vacation. She'll be back next. Because she's off, we're doing a very rare, about once every quarter, I would say, edition of Ask John Anything, which we are sprinkling throughout the program. If you've uh, never been with us during Ask John Anything, uh, basically it's exactly what it sounds like. You can ask me anything you want other than trivia or imponderables, and you can ask the question via Twitter, my Facebook page, or my email, which is talk to zig all letters, talk to zig at AOL.com. Already had a couple of good questions. Hope to get to several more, especially in hour number three, so please participate if you are so inclined to do so. Right now we're taking our look, our weekly look, at the race for the White House 2016 and the dramatic developments within the Trump campaign this week which basically had Paul Manafort ousted as the campaign manager, technically replaced by uh, Kellyanne Conway, who I think is a thoroughly unimpressive person, person who actually, by the way, was a Cruz supporter and, among many other things, said that Donald Trump ought to be releasing his tax returns, which, of course, she's now dramatically reversed herself on. (laughs) Gee, I wonder how that worked. Uh, but she, to me, is, is somebody who uh, appears, from what I can tell, to be a figurehead, a hypocritical figurehead, because I thought Trump wasn't going to run a poll-tested campaign. Whatever happened to that? Now he's got a pollster as his campaign manager? Wow, it's amazing how quickly things change in Trump world. But the CEO is a guy by the name of Steve Bannon. By the way, speaking of Paul Manafort getting kicked out. He was told to resign, reports are. So much for the idea that Donald Trump was going to hire all the best people. Remember? Remember that? I'm going to hire all the best people. If you don't trust me, then trust the fact that me being a billionaire, I surround myself with all the smartest, all the best people. Believe me. Yeah, well, um, he's now on his third campaign manager in three months. By the way, third very, very different campaign manager. And this particular one, if you consider Steve Bannon as the campaign manager, and I do, I mean, he's the CEO, former head of Breitbart News. You know, he's he's at the, the top of the totem pole, apparently. So effectively, it would appear, although I'm, I might change my mind on this, and I'll explain why shortly, it would appear as if Steve Bannon is calling the shots. And here's a guy who has never run any sort of campaign ever. And we're supposed to trust Trump because he's going to hire the very best people. Oh, by the way, I'm on my third head of the campaign in three months. These aren't small positions. This is your campaign manager, the guy in charge of your entire operation. This is well after the turmoil of actually winning the nomination. You get rid of Corey Landowski, get rid of Paul Manafort. Now you got Steve Bannon, who is seen as a brawler. And oh, by the way, it's important to point out, it's incredibly important to point out, the head of Breitbart News. He took over for Andrew Breitbart after Andrew Breitbart suddenly died. He had positioned himself very well to take over there and very advantageously 
for himself, did so. But what does that tell you? It tells you a lot of things. The first thing it ought to tell you is all that media coverage that people like myself were telling you was bogus during the primary season that was ridiculously pro-Trump and viciously anti-almost-every-other Republican, specifically Marco Rubio. They I mean, Breitbart News went after Marco Rubio horrendously. They went after Jeb, Jeb Bush a lot, which I didn't really mind. They were still going after Paul Ryan, even after Donald Trump endorsed Paul Ryan in his primary election, which he won with like 90% of the vote. So the, this is an operation that we now must, in a logical world, conclude during the entire primary season, Breitbart News I'm talking about, was doing the bidding of the business for Donald Trump. They were a wholly owned subsidiary of the Trump campaign. They were a super PAC. That's what Breitbart News was. And to think anything else is criminally naive. This is what you are if you're someone who thinks now that Steve Bannon is the CEO of the Trump campaign, that this is just somehow a coincidence and that that doesn't doesn't tell us anything about Breitbart News. And by the way, by extension, the Drudge Report, because the Drudge Report linked to almost everything Breitbart did that was pro-Trump. And that, by the way, that's why they did it. It's very obvious to me that those at Breitbart not only were in the tank for Trump personally, specifically Steve Bannon, who was running the operation, but Everybody else there saw that Matt Drudge wanted pro-Trump stories. And a link on Drudge is gold for somebody like Breitbart News. So they had both a political and a financial incentive to go into the tank for Trump. But anybody that doesn't believe that the entire primary coverage by Breitbart News was a scam, was a sham, was a fraud, is effectively the same as a woman who gets broken up with a guy who then almost immediately marries her best friend and thinks, oh, there was there was no cheating going on when we were dating, right, honey? Right? That would never have happened. No, he just happened to marry my best friend and then a month after or two months after we stopped dating. Well, it was because they were cheating on you. It's the same thing with Breitbart News. Breitbart News was not news. It was propaganda. And by the way, when I've written about this, there are people at Breitbart News who read what I write at Mediate about this, and they tell me I'm dead on. One of them actually wrote to me after this news broke and said that this will be the blind leading the blind when it comes to Bannon now leading the Trump campaign. And this person completely agreed with my entire analysis, which you can read via Mediate. Just Google me and Mediate, and you'll see the column that I wrote about what we can now learn about the primary coverage based upon Steve Bannon going from the head of Breitbart News to the CEO of the Trump campaign. It was a sham, a scam, a fraud. Breitbart News is a propaganda operation. It is an embarrassment to Andrew Breitbart, their founder, and my old ex-friend. Andrew Breitbart would be horrified by what Breitbart News has become. He did not like Donald Trump as a candidate. He probably would have loved him 
as a talk show host if he decided to pretend to be a conservative after Andrew's death. And he was starting to pretend to become a conservative just before Andrew died. And But Andrew's on record. He was on television saying that Donald Trump is someone not to be trusted and he's not a conservative. Well, Andrew was right. And while Andrew was far from perfect, I do not believe that Andrew would have gone into the tank for a guy like Donald Trump in this way. No, no, no possible way. And how does Breitbart News possibly survive this now? Especially if Trump loses, especially if Trump loses big, which he might. You can't go back from that now. Once you've revealed yourself as a super PAC for a losing presidential candidate, a guy who was a liberal con man, how do you go back to, to be pretending to be a news operation? And how do they possibly function for the last couple of months of this campaign? They are now outed as a super PAC, a propaganda outlet for liberal con man Donald Trump. And I, I, I'm almost glad that Andrew, in all likelihood, because I don't believe in an afterlife, has no idea what's happened to the internet empire that he created because it, it would devastate him if somehow he was. But let me tell you one other thing about this, this incredible shakeup within the Trump campaign with Manafort out, third campaign manager. There's another name here that I haven't mentioned, and that name is Roger Ailes. And what happened to the rest of this week in the Trump campaign indicates to me maybe Steve Bannon really isn't calling the shots. Because this feels a heck of a lot more like Roger Ailes, formerly of Fox News Channel, which I'll explain when we come back on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. Leah Brandon, my co-host, is off this week. She'll be back next. Because she's off, we're doing Ask John Anything during this edition of the John and Leah Show, which gives you the opportunity to ask me any question you want other than a trivia or imponderables. That's not the point of Ask John Anything. And I'm uh, sprinkling those in as we do the news of the week. You can ask me a question via my Twitter page or Twitter feed, my Facebook page, or my email, which is talktozig at AOL.com. Here's a question that relates directly to the subject matter at hand. This from uh, Birchill Evans via Twitter. Do you buy speculation that Trump has been planning on creating his own cable news network and is building that quietly on the sideline? Now, there's been a lot of speculation about this. In fact, I speculated about it myself in one of my Mediate columns that I wrote this week. In fact, the one to which I referred in the last segment, which you should definitely check out because it deals with the implications of Steve Bannon taking over as CEO of the Trump campaign. And it's almost so obvious that that's at least part of the plan then I'm starting to think that maybe it's not true because anytime something's that's is that obvious and becomes part of the conventional wisdom, I start to think, well, maybe there's a chance this isn't right. This isn't real. Maybe we're all coming to a false conclusion, but the pieces are certainly there. I mean, you've got 
Breitbart News head Steve Bannon, and you've got former Fox News Channel chief Roger Ailes, who apparently is now advising the campaign, at least on the debates. I'll get to that in a second. Breitbart, uh, obviously, you know, Steve Bannon would love to create some sort of competitor to Fox News Channel and to be a more populist, quote-unquote, conservative news operation. Trump has already uh, allowed speculation about this to, to fester, and clearly he would at least theoretically have the money to get something like this off the ground, although it would take an enormous amount of money. I don't know if Trump really has the cash to do it by himself. Maybe he's looking for investors, but clearly that is a very real possibility. All the players are there, and if you're going to lose and you're already creating the narrative that you're going to lose because of two things, the evil GOP establishment and the liberal media, well... It would certainly make sense then that when this is all over with, after you lose, you create a cable news network built on those two things. Hatred of the GOP establishment, hatred of the liberal mainstream news media, very populist, and you might be able to find an audience. I'm skeptical, by the way, that that would work. Because I think that once Trump is no longer a presidential candidate, he basically becomes Sarah Palin after she resigned from governor of Alaska, especially at his age. He's never going to run again. There's no potency there. He's impotent politically. And, you know, Trump only, I think the pizzazz of Trump is, oh my God, he might be president. I mean, if Trump all of a sudden tomorrow was at 25% in the polls, which by the way, in some polls, he's not that far off from that. But if if, if it ever became clearly, totally 100% obvious he was never going to be president. All of a sudden, Trump becomes pathetic instead of funny. There's a very fine line. And if there's no threat that he's going to become president of the United States, I, I think the ratings go way down, and I don't think there's enough there there to make a cable news network survive, even though I'm someone who believes that a real good competitor to Fox News Channel would have an awesome opportunity to get traction because I, I don't think Fox News Channel is conservative at all, not from a political standpoint, but I, I think they they care far, far, far more about their ratings than they do about the conservative cause or certainly whether or not Republicans uh, win and, and hold office. So the answer to the question is that I think it's possible, but a couple of things happened this week which make me think maybe not, and that deals with who's really in charge of the Trump campaign. Because I think the signs are that it's really not Steve Bannon. That Steve Bannon, now granted, it's a very small data pool from which to draw, but it's a couple of significant things happened this week would make, which make me think it's possible that Roger Ailes is really calling the shots and that Steve Bannon is actually being used as a stooge by Donald Trump to make sure he doesn't lose his base Well, he goes off and does what Roger Ailes wants, which is to be a mainstream candidate. I'll explain when we come back on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. Leah Brandon is off this week. She'll be back next. We're doing Ask John Anything. In addition to our weekly look at the news of the week, you can ask me any question you want other than a trivia question or an imponderable simply by doing so via my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, or my email, which is talktozig at AOL.com. I want to, um, before we get back to another Ask John Anything question or another news story, I want to talk about this uh, so-called pivot of the Donald Trump campaign, which has been getting a lot of play, especially in the conservative media. I think a lot of people are very probably overly hopeful that this is going to somehow change the election, that now finally... Here in late August, Donald Trump has gotten it. He somehow understood the message. He's going to be a totally different candidate. He's going to be presidential from here on out, and that this is how he's going to beat Hillary Clinton. The evidence of this is as follows. He gave a speech on teleprompter, which to me diminishes a lot of the credibility of it, especially from a guy who has often mocked the use of a teleprompter in general and specifically by President Obama, but I digress. Regarding his regrets about things that he has said that he regrets during the campaign. Now, this is a stunner coming from Donald Trump, who never apologizes for anything. He didn't specifically apologize, but the gist was one of regret and acknowledging that he might not actually be perfect despite his big persona and massive ego. And, you know, I was a little bit surprised by that because, one, it's not really in his makeup. Two, it's not strategically the right time to do that. See, I've never understood, especially from an alpha male perspective, you know, Trump's the alpha male. Alpha males can admit weakness only from a position of strength. Like, think about it this way. An alpha male, if he cries, not that Trump cried, but I'm using this as an analogy. If an alpha male cries after winning the Super Bowl or winning an Oscar, that's cool. That's sexy. That's that's a powerful guy letting us into his vulnerabilities and acknowledging even as great as he is, he's vulnerable. He's one of us, which makes him even cooler, even better, even stronger. So that's showing weakness as a strength because you're doing it from a position of strength because you're you just won well trump is losing everybody knows it he just got rid of his second campaign manager in three months he's losing in every poll most people are writing him off so expressing regret via teleprompter from a position of weakness in front of an audience that's minuscule in comparison to the overall electorate, to me, has no impact in and of itself, no positive impact in and of itself. Now, there will be other opportunities, you know, like, for instance, the debates, where somehow that new persona, if done from a position of strength, that could be effective. And this is just a baby step we've seen before where Trump takes a baby step, and then takes two or three steps backwards. But that was followed up with a much mocked on Twitter, but somewhat praised in some circles, effort to try to 
make an outreach towards African-American voters. Now, you know, there has been a myth out there that has been perpetrated much by the Drudge Report that somehow Trump was going to do really well among black voters. There's been zero evidence of that. I've never really understood the logic of it. Yeah, he has some black D-list celebrity friends, but I don't think that that's going to sway black votes. You might be able to depress black turnout because, let's face it, nobody's enthusiastic about voting for Hillary, and black people aren't particularly enthusiastic about it either. So if you can depress turnout of black people, for instance, in Pennsylvania or Ohio or Florida, North Carolina, places like that, then that that's effective. So I, I, I think that if you're trying to win, making that play, and again, it might be too late because the convention would have been a better place to do this when you had a larger audience and you were perceived as still having a very good chance of winning. But from a strategic standpoint, it makes sense. And by the way, you know, if you're looking at this from a sports perspective, uh, you know, I've become friendly over the last few years with Franco Harris, NFL Hall of Famer, most famous for the Immaculate Reception. And, you know, the Immaculate Reception was in the early 70s. And Franco was there because he was running down the field because he was always taught, keep running to the ball. Even though there wasn't a chance in hell that that ball was coming his direction. Well, guess what happened? It did come his direction, and he's famous for it over 40 years later because he made the miracle catch, scored the game-winning touchdown, and the play is still the most famous play in NFL history, even though it wasn't even a championship game. The reason I'm mentioning that is when it comes to the black vote, making a play for it is kind of like running after the ball that you have no chance to catch. Because, you know, it's maybe, just maybe, something happens between now and November. A Martin Luther King Jr. arrest-type event. Not that there is a Martin Luther King Jr. around right now, but in the 1960 election between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon, Nixon, to use a sports analogy, fumbled the ball when King got arrested. The Kennedys jumped all over it, got King out of prison, and the black vote shifted that election and has shifted ever since. Now, what could possibly happen? Who the hell knows? Maybe maybe there's an email there of, Hillary Clinton dissing Beyonce that I've been fantasizing about for over the last year. And if that happens, you got to be there to catch the ball. So, you know, I, I think it's perfectly fine to try to make an outreach towards African-Americans because at the very least, they can respect Trump's celebrity and his money and the way he talks, I think, is something that could be appealing to a lot of African-Americans. So that's a change to some degree. And now there's also apparently a policy change that's percolating, that's being floated out there in various circles via trial balloons, although maybe it's more than a trial balloon, that somehow now Trump is going to shift rather significantly, although pretend that he's not, his position on illegal immigration. There have been numerous reports out this weekend that deportation is now no longer going to happen. And by the way, if you're not going to have deportation or massive deportation, which I've never thought is realistic living here in Southern California, it's just not. It's not logistically realistic. It's not politically realistic. There's just no chance it's ever going to happen. But you can fantasize about it during a primary 
And when the, no one's going to tell your conservative base that it's not realistic because they'll get attacked as rhinos, then that myth gets per- perpetrated and nobody kills it. And you end up with Donald Trump as your nominee. So I, I never believed in a deportation force or any kind of mass deportation, but apparently now that's no longer part of the policy. And if you don't have mass deportation, by the way, even if you build your big shiny wall that Mexico's never going to pay for, the wall becomes irrelevant because you already got, forget about 11 million. You do not have 11 million illegal immigrants in this country. I live in Southern California. There might be 11 million right here. That's not hyperbole. That number is antiquated and totally inaccurate. It's at least 20, maybe 30 million nationwide. So if you got anywhere in that vicinity of 20 to 30 million illegal immigrants already here and you don't have any deportations of a, of a mass scale, then your wall means nothing. Not that your big wall was ever going to get built to begin with. So it appears as if now Trump is becoming <laughs> very Marco Rubio-like, very Jeb Bush-like, who got, of course, destroyed during the primaries or being too soft on illegal immigration. Now that he has the nomination and he knows that he can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and his base will never supposedly abandon him. Trump is playing you guys for suckers. We don't know that for sure yet, but that's what it seems like reading between the lines. Which, of course, if you can't trust him on illegal immigration, why are you going to trust him on judges? Which has always been my my big thing. Why, why, do, why should I believe anything Donald Trump tells me? He's a liberal con man who's held every position there is. And he will fool you. He will lie. It's in his book. He'll lie when it suits him, and then he'll change his mind once the circumstances change. Well, it appears as if he's doing that on illegal immigration. So what's going on here? I mean, on paper, he's acting a heck of a lot more like a reasonable, potential winning general election candidate against a highly unpopular Democrat, Hillary Clinton. So who's doing this? It ain't Kellyanne Conway. I can guarantee you, in a couple days on the job, she did not convince Donald Trump to do all this. Donald Trump does not have respect enough for Kellyanne Conway, a D-list pollster who's never run a campaign like this in her life. I don't think he has enough respect for Steve Bannon either. Because you got to remember, in Trump's mind, he's way bigger than Breitbart News. In Trump's mind, Breitbart, he was helping Breitbart by giving them access to him. Breitbart is a small, is small potatoes in comparison to him. He sees Breitbart as doing his bidding for him. So I don't think he has respect inherently for Steve Bannon, which is one of the reasons why I was confused why he made him CEO. I thought, okay, this is like surrender. He's just going to go down fighting and Bannon's a fighter and maybe he's going to build this conservative news network using Bannon after the election. I'm starting to rethink that because I think the guy really calling the shots right now is Roger Ailes. If you look at everything I just discussed, those have Roger Ailes fingertips on them. Roger Ailes being the former head of Fox News Channel. Ailes knows what he's doing. Ailes understands the general election electorate, and he understands presidential elections, and he's a smart guy. Now, you're still dealing with the same candidate, Donald Trump, so frankly, I think this is too little too late. You're only going to have an audience large enough 
to change perceptions three more times at most, assuming you do the debates. And it's my belief that Hillary's going to clean his clock, at least on, on points, when it comes to the debates. And the media will make sure that they tell everybody they possibly can that she won the debates. But those are your only opportunities left. A speech, no matter where it is, no matter who's carrying it, isn't going to hack it. The people watching are not the swing voters. The swing voters have tuned out now. They might tune back in for the debates. So a pivot is irrelevant. Not irrelevant, but it's nearly irrelevant at this point. So on paper, I think that what's really happening, if I gun to my head, I think Roger Ailes is now calling the shots at the Trump campaign. I think Kellyanne Conway is there to placate the Republican establishment that there's someone who has at least a clue about polling that's in a position of power. And I think Steve Bannon is is actually being used because I think Trump is going to start betraying the Breitbart readers. But because he's hired Bannon, the Breitbart readers, the Drudge Report readers, the populists, the Sean Hannity people are are not going to believe it because they've already proven time and time again they're going to rationalize whatever Trump does to be the most brilliant move of all time. And as he famously said himself, he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and his voters wouldn't leave him. So I'm not married to this theory, but right now that's what I think is going on. I think Bannon is a stooge. I think Bannon is used simply as a way to hold his base together while he betrays them by following the advice of Roger Ailes. Now, will it be effective? I'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll do more from Ask John Anything when we come back on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. Leah's off this week. We're doing Ask John Anything as well as our weekly look at the news of the week. By the way, one of our Ask John Anything questions was how we choose the bumper music because a lot of the bumper music comes from major movies, which was I was reminded because obviously that was St. Elmo's Fire right there. And I think the question was, uh, what criteria is used for our bumper music? Uh, it's not a scientific process. It's basically uh, theme songs that are instantly recognizable that I personally like and that I think people who would be likely to listen to this program would also like. I tend to like things that uh, have some sort of meaning behind them. You'll notice a little bit of subliminal meaning in some of the bumper music that we choose, but... You know, I'm 49 years old, and so therefore, you know, a lot of the music comes from the 80s. And I like inspirational theme songs. We also like to play the Rocky music from a couple of the Rocky uh, films because I grew up in Philadelphia. But, uh, yeah, movie themes are always good because they tend to be more recognizable and a bit uh, inspirational. They also have a little bit more meaning to them. Certainly more so than modern music in this day and age. That's for sure. All right. Now, um, by the way, if you want to participate and ask John anything, we still have hour number three coming up. Feel free to ask me a question via my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, or my email, 
Talk to Zig at AOL.com. That's T-A-L-K-T-O-Z-I-G. Talk to Zig at AOL.com. A couple more minutes on this particular week's look at the race with the White House 2016. And I know, I know, I constantly get hit with, why aren't you talking about Hillary? Well, um, we already know what Hillary is. (laughs) And I I have no love for her. I don't support her. I'm not going to vote for her. She's a horrendous candidate, and it's frustrating as hell to me uh, that we have a lousy candidate because she would have been easily beatable. John Kasich, who I didn't really like, would have easily beaten her. Marco Rubio would have easily beaten her. Scott Walker, had Donald Trump not gotten in and blown his boat out of the water with Hurricane Trump, Scott Walker would have beaten Hillary Clinton. A couple other people might have had a shot. But those three, in my view, if the purpose here was to beat Hillary Clinton, and this, of the many things that frustrates the hell out of me about Trumpers, Trumpsters, whatever you want to call them, Trump supporters, the most frustrating thing is the notion that now you are a horrible person, you're immoral, according to Laura Ingram, you're a rhino at best if you do anything but support Donald Trump because defeating Hillary is so paramount. It's so important. It's the most important thing that's ever happened. Okay, fine. I'm all on board with that. But if beating her at all costs was really so important, why the hell did you nominate somebody who can't do it? Or at the very least, doesn't have control over his own destiny to do it. He needs some sort of catastrophe to occur in order to get it done. That, to me, is a massive amount of hypocrisy right there. And it exposes the fraud that is the entire Trump myth. Because if Trump hadn't won the nomination, (laughs) I doubt very seriously he would have helped anybody beat Hillary. In fact, I think there's a better chance that he would have, at best, would have stayed silent or might have even helped his old friend Hillary Clinton, who, of course, he donated to many times and whose husband he asked for advice before he got into the race. Just amazing. That's the guy who, if you don't vote for, you're a horrible, immoral person and a Republican in name only. So does this mini pivot shift that we've seen over the last four or five days from Trump, does this mean that he has a chance? Well, I don't think it hurts. I mean, I don't think his poll numbers are going to get any worse. I mean, he's still struggling to break 40% in most national polls. The, the state polls are even worse. And remember, this is where it really matters. State polls are where it matters. I mean, he's losing every state he needs to win. He needs to win Pennsylvania. He's losing Pennsylvania big. He's starting to lose Florida by a significant margin. He's losing Ohio marginally. He can't lose any of those states. He's also losing North Carolina, which he cannot lose. Those are really the four states to look at. He has to win all four of those. And I will give, and by the way, this indicates to me once again that Ailes, Roger Ailes is probably calling the shots because the Trump campaign is finally starting to spend some money. Not that they have nearly as much of it as they would like you to believe based upon the most recent accounting of the FEC, but they're starting to spend some advertising money and they're doing it exactly where they should. Although it's, it's damning that this is where they're having to do it. But they're spending it in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida, and North Carolina. That tells me there's at least some competence, which is, you know, not a lot to ask for, but we haven't seen a lot of that yet. 
So they're finally starting to spend some money, and they're spending it not in the, the amounts I would like, but in the places where they absolutely have to win. I've seen no sign yet they're going to win any of those four states. they got to win all four or it's over. So I still believe that Hillary is the heavy favorite here. More of the news of the week, the Olympics, and Ask John Anything in hour number three right here on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network coming up next.